Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning and to those who are online gathered with us today. Today we continue our series, When God Speaks, and we're diving into a book full of encouragement. It's about time. The book of Haggai is a book all about rebuilding. So at this time, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and hand out Bibles if you would like to use one this morning as we look into the little book of Haggai. It's found on page 1382 of your Quest Bible. And the book of Haggai comes after the first wave of God's people come back from exile, and they come home to discover the temple has been destroyed and their homes have been destroyed, some pretty hard realities to face. But in spite of that, they knew the time of destruction was now over. They were in a new season, a time to start over. But how do you start? Have there been times in your life when after going through a hard season, you finally get through to the other side, to a place of relative calm, and even though you know it's time to find a new normal, you're kind of in shock? Hard hits come in our lives in all different kind of forms, and the loss of a loved one, and then facing a completely different world without them afterward, and the loss of a job, trying to figure out, what do I do now? Or maybe in sending a kid off to college after a very frantic season of activity facing a very quiet house. Or maybe it's losing a senior pastor, trying to guess what the next chapter will be in a very much-loved church community. But the book of Haggai speaks to people who are in that in-between place where they've been through a heavy season of struggle or loss, and then they found their way home, but they haven't yet found their way back to their purpose, their home but they haven't really found their life. Do you know what that's like? Well, God in his love won't leave them there or us either. And that's what the book of Haggai is about. It's not just a call for them to rebuild. It's also about how God is rebuilding his kingdom's purpose in their hearts and in ours. So if you would, please open your Bibles to the first chapter of Haggai in the Quest Bible. That's on 1383. And here's the situation in that first chapter. This first wave of God's people united under the leadership of two men, Zerubbabel the governor and Joshua the high priest, who are the political and the religious leaders, get to work on the basics. They re rebuild the infrastructure, their homes, their businesses. But when it comes to thinking about rebuilding the temple, something holds them back. They told themselves, I don't know if it's time yet. Maybe we're not ready for that yet. Early on, some people had started clearing the ground to rebuild the temple, but then they ran into some resistance from the culture around them, and it scared them. So they backed down. They'd had enough of hard times already. They didn't want to make waves. And they easily convinced themselves, you know, the temple can wait. That's a huge project anyway. Let's just take care of this other stuff first. But over time, what it turned into was a procrastination born out of fear. The longer they waited, the more insurmountable the idea of starting became. Have you ever been there? As many of you know, I spent a year with a mission group in the U.S. and West Africa, and after that experience, I had these grand plans to make a scrapbook of all of the things that I'd seen and learned about God and his people in that amazing year. But that experience was so life-changing, I knew that scrapbook had to be awesome to convey it all. So I organized, I packed everything orderly into crates to know what I was going to use and how I was going to use it, to have everything ready to start to put together that awesome book, Someday. And guess what? Someday never came. All those bins are still there. I intimidated myself right out of starting. 
and all those notes and pictures are still waiting where I never look at them because they're too special, while my day-to-day -day pictures easily end up in albums and I look at them whenever I want. Isn't that dumb? <laughs> That's the way it is, though. The more important something is, the more we tend to put it off. And I think that's what happened with the people in Haggai, that maybe they were afraid to start and get it wrong, afraid even to begin. But that's nowhere to live. So if you're stuck like that, what do you need? You need a kick in the pants. And that's what God does in the book of Haggai. God says, you've been back a while. You put a lot of effort into rebuilding things. How's that going for you? In Haggai 1.6, God says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your full fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Nothing seems to be working, no matter what you do. And then in verse 9, God says, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. And you can almost hear the people react. That was you? <laughs> Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. You've done all the things you think would lead you to contentment, but you never get there. Why? Because you're not tending to the most important thing in your life. You're so busy tending to your own things, you've forgotten what your life is supposed to be about. You're missing your purpose. And you're not going to find your life until you're, you find that. That's why they're stuck. And unfortunately, it's human nature that the only time we stop and ask the question, what's going on with my life, is when things don't seem to be working out, right? When things are good, we just don't ask those questions. So God holds back a piece to get their attention. And when Haggai points out, don't you feel like something's missing? And everyone says, yeah, what is that? God says, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> now that you've rebuilt all your houses, it's time to build into your eternal purpose. So they got their kick in the pants, their wake-up call, and they're given their purpose to rebuild the house of God, to put God and your worship of Him back into the center, not only of your life, but of your life together. And the truth is, when the people start to take up His purpose, not only does it bring them back to God, but this calling also brings them back to each other. Because suddenly they found themselves united as a community in something bigger than themselves, in something with eternal and generational and spiritual significance. See, God's purpose in this was not only to see his house rebuilt, but to rebuild his people in the process, in relationship with him and with each other. But how do we get, begin when fear or uncertainty paralyze us? We need to know what we can be certain of. So right after God calls his people to their purpose to rebuild his house, the very first thing he does is lay down some foundational promises for them and for us. And the first promise is the promise of his presence. In Haggai 1.13, it says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. That's all. End of message. I am with you. I'm right here, and I'm not leaving. You are my people, and I am your God. I'm with you. Sometimes that's all we need to know. And for these people, that promise moves them right out of fear and into joy. Well, if God's going to be sticking around, why don't we build him a house? 
After so many years of struggle, God wants his people to know it's a new day, and he's with them to begin it. Which leads in, into the second and the third promise, which kind of go together in the same paragraph. The second one is God's promise of power, and the third is his promise of provision. God's promise of power is given to counteract the disease of discouragement. Because God knew the hearts of his people just like he knows our hearts. So when he sees a problem, he calls it out. And in Haggai 2.3, God asks, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You see, the major problem with starting this grand project was that too many of them remembered what the temple used to be. They remembered how glorious it was, and now here they are just putting one little brick on top of another. And for the people who remember, they're not encouraged by the building that's happening. They're sad because they can't imagine that what they're building now could ever be as glorious as what had been there before. And the problem is we can get stuck there too. It's so easy to think back to the glory days of what God did in our lives and then look at our world today and just get sad that we don't see people experiencing and being shaped in faith in the same things that shaped us or thrilled us or made our hearts sing. And we can grieve that because those things that God used in our lives to form us and teach us and inspire us were good, and God was good to us through them. But when that nostalgia for past glory gets in the way of joining us, joining into the work that God is calling us to do to build up his house now, that can be a major problem. It's not a modern problem, it's a human problem. And it's what was happening in Haggai, so God calls it out. He says, you who remember how glorious the temple used to be, does this work you're doing now seem like nothing to you? Implied answer, I know it does. But God answers that with some promises in Haggai 2. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Greater glory. That's the promise, that God is not finished with us yet. And what's being built now won't look the same as it did in the past, but that's not what made it glorious what makes something glorious is the presence of the living God who fills it. And he says, you build it. I'll fill it. Just watch. But you got to put away your pictures of what used to be and get ready for what's next. Because God is still on the throne and he's still on the move. And your purpose and your calling right here and now, just like the people in the time of Haggai, is to work to build up his house to see what he does to fill it in a new way in a new day. And I think this is especially timely for us here at Community of Grace because we have had decades of amazing ministry through this place. Faithful, Christ-honoring, spirit-filled ministry. But every generation brings a little different aspect, a little different face of a diamond shining the light of Jesus' love into the world. 
and pastors and staff and church family may come and go and programs may come and go and buildings change. But in this place where God is in the business of building up his people and where his people in obedience to him are about the purpose of building up his church, God's glory will shine. What will this next chapter we're walking into look like? God only knows, but he knows. And his call to us is to trust him enough to start, to dedicate ourselves to building a place for his presence to fill, to create intentional spaces in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships, in our hearts for God's holy presence to fill because that's when we find our purpose. And where God is directing us, if we will dare to begin to just put one brick of faith on another, he will meet us with his power and with his provision. Provision was the third promise. God says in Haggai, the gold and the silver, they're mine. <laughs> what God is saying is if he calls you to do it, he will provide what you need to do it. But how he provides might surprise you. Before Francis of Assisi was known as a saint, he thought his purpose was to be a soldier. But his first time out on the battlefield, he was immediately captured to get a ransom from his rich father. And Francis was humiliated and discouraged. And after he was ransomed, he went home to regroup. But as he sat in the church praying, Jesus himself came to Francis and gave him an entirely different purpose, commanding in an audible voice, Francis, rebuild my church. It was such a profound call, he had to obey immediately. And initially, he took the Lord literally. The church building of San Damiano was crumbling. So at first, he went to his rich father for help, who just laughed at him. But that call was so strong, Francis prayed and then felt he was supposed to take the calling to the people. So Francis went to every home in the parish, and he asked every family if they had any bricks to spare, if they had any time to donate to help rebuild their church. And one by one, they came with their bricks. And the church of San Damiano began to reform. But it wasn't just the building. In that process, something else happened too. Because soon Francis began to understand that Jesus didn't just mean for him to rebuild a building. That it's Jesus' people who are the church. And it was they who needed rebuilding from the foundation up. You see, Francis began to realize that the people didn't really know who Jesus is. The sermons they heard were in Latin, a language they didn't understand. They didn't have Bibles, and they couldn't read them anyway. And other than what they could pick up from the pictures in the cathedrals about the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, they really didn't know anything about Jesus, his words, his actions, his characters, his character, his love. And Francis started to wonder, how could they love, much less imitate the love of a Lord that they didn't even know? No wonder Jesus' church had begun falling apart. It was missing its foundation upon which everything else needs to be built. And Francis realized this call to rebuild the church one heart at a time would be accomplished by helping each one build on the foundation of Jesus' love, his character, and most of all, his gift of saving grace. And in a time and a season in the world where the church was floundering, in a sea of corruption and skepticism and scandal, Francis was used to begin a whole new era of spiritual awakening in the church by simply teaching and imitating Jesus so that others could come to know the Savior he loved. 
Francis put together groups to tell the stories of Jesus in the villages through skits and songs to bring people back to the heart of the good news for them. Francis heard the call to rebuild, but really, as he faithfully called others to help him in that work, what he found was that God was recreating him and them as his people. And that's the whole reason God calls us to join him in this purpose, that as he uses our hands, he also forms our hearts. God is the one who rebuilds his church. And it's he who does the healing and restoring and renewing work, but he chooses to do that through us because we are the living stones, the lives that make up his people. And he calls his church the hope of the world. And you know that calling for us hasn't changed. Jesus and his words and his actions showed us the God who loved us. And after his resurrection in Matthew 28, Jesus stated for us our mission and our purpose to build up the church, not necessarily by building up brick and stone, but by building hearts in his love. Jesus said, Go therefore out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus ends that with a foundational promise, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Which brings us to the last promise that God gave for those who would seek to build up his temple, the promise of peace. In Haggai 2.9b, God says, And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. See, there's no peace like the peace that we know when we find ourselves in the presence and the purpose of our God. And that's what Jesus was sent to bring us. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus enter the temple of God. But what he saw was not people who were looking for the purpose of God's heart. What he saw was a people so wrapped up in trying to get things right themselves, buying and selling their sacrifices, that they had made no place for God to fill them. So Jesus turned over the tables and he emptied those money bags and he reminded them God's house was to be a house of prayer. What we need doesn't come from what we build, but what God builds in us. What we need most is to seek him. And seeing what Jesus did, the temple leaders were furious, and they demanded an explanation, and Jesus told them what he was doing. He would tear down this temple and in three days rebuild it, and he did. You see, the most powerful place of God's dwelling on the earth was in his son, Jesus. And when Jesus laid down his life into the hands of a sinful world, the holiest of all possible temples was destroyed. And nothing we could ever build will ever, ever rival the glory of the temple that was Jesus Christ on the earth. And at his death on the cross, his disciples grieved that bitterly. We will never see God move like that again. But surprisingly, that wasn't true. God wasn't finished with us yet. When Jesus rose, defeating sin and death, he rose to create a whole new beginning for our relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled the law. No more temple sacrifices required. He alone is the sacrifice that makes us new. And by his forgiveness and his grace, now every human heart can be washed and made holy by Jesus' sacrifice to become a temple of the living God. 
that our lives are to be the place that God will fill with his presence and his glory. And through the Holy Spirit, we become the living stones called together to create a temple of his praise. That's the church today. And Jesus gives us the surprising and amazing promise of greater glory because he says to you and me, you will do even greater things than these because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, in you and in me. So what does that mean for our calling? Although our context is certainly different than the time of Haggai, God still calls us to the mission to build up his church, to build up a people loving God and loving one another, letting his presence shine into the world through us. And he still knows the fears and the anxieties and the insecurities that keep us from daring just to put one brick of faith on top of another, trusting him to fill our efforts with greater glory. And so in the same way that, that God encouraged the people in Haggai, he encourages us today by his promises of his presence where Jesus says, I am with you always. By his power where Jesus said, I will send you my Holy Spirit. By his provision, Jesus says, you will do even greater things. And by his peace, Jesus says in John 14, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not be afraid. See, God isn't finished with this world or with us. And through the cross of Jesus, you are forgiven and free, not by the building of your own work, but by his. You are free to grow into your purpose without fear and with joy. So that, to that end, today each of you were given a brick, a tiny little brick that represents your life, your gifts, your passions, the unique role that God has given you as part of his living temple. So I want to ask you today, how do you think Jesus wants to use your life to build up his church through you? Maybe today that rebuilding simply begins with you trusting him enough to create intentional space in your life, your home, your relationships, your heart, for God's holy presence to fill by his power and his grace. Maybe for you that step is to invite him in. And then secondly, what passions has God put on your heart that might build into the faith of others? Who in your life might better see who Jesus is through you? Is there somewhere you can be a builder of faith? Because we are each needed, each and every one of us, in this temple of living stones to live into this mission beside our God. So today, as you come up for communion, you're invited to come and bring up your brick, remembering how in Jesus Christ God has built into you by his grace. You're invited to place your brick together with those of others down there on the table as a symbol of your willingness to be used by Jesus to build up his church through your life. Or if you would prefer to take your brick home and to put it in the place where you pray, to be reminded about how God wants to use your life to build up his church through the world, you can do that as well. All that we are belongs to God, but his purpose in calling us into his purpose is to show us that we're not alone and that his presence, his power, his provision, and his peace are meant to fill us daily that we might be living temples to his greater glory, that his love might shine through us. May it be so. Let's pray. Jesus, you laid down your life. You rose again in order to give us a new beginning 
to light our hearts and our lives with your holy presence and your purpose and your calling. And Lord, help us never to forget the beauty of that calling that you've given each and every one of us. Lord, teach us to be living stones in your temple. Use our lives wherever you plant us, Lord, to shine your grace and help us always to know how deeply loved and treasured we are by you so we can shine that love to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.